Allison in Wonderland. Yes. Um, Welcome. Hi. <laughs> Thank you. What? Where did you come up with the name for your new podcast? Oh my goodness, you would not believe it. I was trying to figure out a domain name for my website, and I just happened to type Allison in Wonderland into GoDaddy thinking there was no way it was available and it was. And so the whole theme has just kind of gone based on that. <laughs> and uh, when did you guys, you, have you released your first episode? I did. I released it um, on January 4th and they're going to be released every Wednesday. Um, I did make sure I'm a digital marketer, so I like to be super prepared. So I, I had like seven recorded before I, released the first one you did your research good job that's what <laughs> yeah. they say have, have a stack of them recorded ready to go so uh that's that's smart um and uh yeah because i was looking at your website it looks like you already have a nice lineup of people that um that are willing to come on and share their mental health struggles or whatever else you guys are talking about um, i want to get to you though so back in 2007 i believe is when your life really was rocked Take us back uh, to, to that time period and, and tell us what happened with your brother. Yeah, so um, in July of 2007, I received a phone call in the middle of the night from my little brother, Trey, and he doesn't ever call anyone. Um, so I answered it and he told me that my older brother, Kevin, had posted a suicide note on MySpace, which for the younger audience was Facebook of the time. And he had actually transformed his entire page into a suicide note. So I sat on the phone in Georgia with my family in Alabama while I tried to find him. And then I, I heard the screams and the phone disconnect. And that's when I knew everything was changed in my life. And um, I then found out that you know, there were a lot of pieces into what led to the loss of my brother, Kevin. But at first I just had, I didn't even know which side was up when this first happened. I, I couldn't speak. I, I could hardly work. I finally quit my job and ended up in bed eating peanut butter, you know, with my fingers. Because I mean, like just seriously, the worst state of depression that I could ever imagine being in. And then the... I need to understand everything. Part of me started doing research. How old I was Kevin the, when, when he took his life, Allison? It was 10 days before his 27th birthday. And did you guys see signs that he was depressed? Um, looking back on it, absolutely. Um, he had actually been released early from the military um, because he had a, a bipolar manic episode where he wrecked a van and they released him for medical reasons. Um, and he didn't really get the care that he needed um, from the VA, but I'm not going to bash the VA like, you know, the, the resources that are there are there. But I didn't understand what bipolar disorder really was at that point. So when you say looking back, what are some of the things, what were some of the signs that you guys probably choose you you just willfully willfully ignored because you didn't really okay he's going through some th times he's he's up and down maybe he's going through a tough moment in, in in his life but looking back once you have that 2020 vision what are some of the signs that you were able to say oh we should have caught this yeah i think that 
there's there's one key point that night of something that came up. If I had known that one thing, every other conversation I had with him would have been completely different. When we were on the phone, I was my mom. Um, my parents divorced when I was younger. So I've got my my mom's family and my dad's family. And we're on separate phone calls trying to find Kevin. And she says to me, when Kevin gets depressed, he likes to throw a rope in a tree. And I had never heard anything of that before. And I, I just, I, at that point, I was just like frozen. I had, I had no idea. And so I feel like if I had had that piece of information, then all of the other conversations I had with him where he was like, hey, can I come live with you guys? Which we didn't let him do because I had small children and he um, would self-medicate with, you know, drugs and things. So I think I would have had a better understanding of where he was at if I knew that he had ever been in that place. So are you so when did you hear that? That was the first time you heard that was the same day that he took his life? It was, yes, it was the night that we were looking to try to find him. My mother um, told me, because he was living at my dad's, my mother told me to have them go look in the woods. So your mom then had known for a period of time that this wasn't the first time that he at least attempted to take his life. Is that what you're saying? That is exactly what I'm saying. I know it sounds terrible, but it, yes. Okay, and then you get that information that night, and are you guys saying... Are you saying to your mother at the time, like, why have you withheld this from us? Uh, how does that unfold? I, I really just told them to go look in the woods. Um, I we, It was so frantic because he had just posted this thing on MySpace. And we were determined that we were going to be able to find him before anything happened. And then after we lost him... I, I did not bring it back up to her. I was very broken. She actually said some things to me after he passed away that were just really terrible. And she also suffered from bipolar disorder. And she, I also lost her as a result of suicide in 2010. And I look back on it now and realize that she had a, other attempts when I was a child. And I didn't realize that's what it was. Okay. So your mother suffered with this, uh, mental illness of some sort. And... So looking back, maybe somebody in that mental state doesn't look at it as severely as somebody else who's in a healthy state. Somebody looking back like your mom goes, oh, he, he's he's taken the rope. He's attempted. It's no big deal. It's almost like it's it's nothing. It's it's so minor to somebody who's already done this several times or or struggled with the illness their whole life. She didn't even think to tell the rest of the family. She just thought it, it'll go away either. Right. I mean, that's kind of right. What you're I, I absolutely think that I think because she had been in that moment where she took too many pills or whatever, and it was just, okay, the next day she was fine. I think in her mind, it was the same way with Kevin. He would actually be fine. He was just, that was how he dealt with being sad or depressed. But so when you look back in that, again, with that 2020 hindsight, what are some of the signs that for a loved one right now who's dealing with struggling with someone else that they know that they love? What are yeah, some so, of the things that, that they need to be looking at for somebody that may be in that very erratic state? Yeah. So, you know, the very one of the most common signs that people don't realize is talking about suicide. Um, I found out that a week before he had told my little sisters that it because he was getting kicked out of my dad's house, that 
it would just show show all of them if he killed my stepmom and killed himself. So he he was already expressing a suicidal ideology at, in that moment. And I think that one of the things as far as bipolar disorder goes, when I look back at my childhood, because I had no idea that was what was wrong with my mother, is my mother and Kevin both had these amazing highs. Everyone loved them. They were sucked into them. Like they just had gravity just pulling everyone into them. But what no one saw were the lows where they didn't get out of the dark. They abused, you know, Kevin abused all kinds of drugs. My mom abused, you know, narcotic pain medications and things like that, just where they couldn't get out of bed for days. And I think that if I saw that, like if I witnessed that with someone in my life today, I would be like, okay, we need to do something. I'm, I'm super worried about, you know, their mental state. So when somebody verbalizes the desire to either kill somebody else or themselves, you're saying yeah, take it seriously. Exactly. And then when people say it and I think that they're joking, I do call them out on it. I'm, I tell them, I'm like, you know, when you tell me this, that makes me worry for you. It makes me want to go talk to your mom or your, you know what I mean? Like I've had my, my kids' friends say things like that. So um, I try to really shift it because it's, some people are just like, oh, kill me now when, you know, but actually sometimes, you know, people are saying I, I might just want to die. And it just seems like they're being dramatic. And that's how was, people Was your take. brother found hanging at the tree? Not in a tree. Um, my dad had a, a like a big garage shop thing next to his house, and it was a beam in um, there. My little brother, who was 15 at the time, found him and oh. cut him down. Um, and you talked to your brother, the one that found him. Yeah, he's he really struggled with it. He's one of the only one of my siblings besides myself that got therapy, you know, right away. Um, we don't talk specifically about that night because I know it was super traumatizing for him, at least not exactly what he saw, because in my mind, I can picture what happened and I heard all of it, um, you know, from another state, but he was so young. It, I mean, it was, he's the youngest of my siblings. I'm one of eight. So what, what did that my, do to him? What did that do to him? Looking back, uh, this goes back 15, 16 years ago. Yeah, he's, 15. So he's in his, he's in his early thirties now, but, uh, I, that's a life changing event for all of you, but especially for the person that has to witness it and see it. Yeah. With him and with the upbringing that my siblings at my dad's house had, um, he really leaned into religion and, um, found comfort there. I have other siblings that after the losses um, that were not raised at my dad's that were more that pulled away from religion. So I've, I think people have kind of, if they have a religious upbringing they kind of have one of, or two reactions, if something happens, they either cling to God or they blame God. And so I've seen both examples. Um, he went to college, he went on to be a missionary um, and then um now, you know, has just a regular nine to five job, beautiful little baby girl, and is probably one of the most well-adjusted of my siblings that I have. Um, 
because he actually did the work. He went to therapy. He got help. He talked about it and um, really went and, yeah, I, I guess just made sure that he was taking care of himself. He, he faced it head on. Yeah. like this, this head on and, and he did the work and, and it's probably a lifetime worth of work. I'm sure it's gotten easier because it's been years. Time does heal when you're putting in the work. Uh, but if he goes deep and gets into those quiet moments, to, to, that visual's got to always be there with him. Yeah, absolutely. It, and the thing is, is it's also always there with me. And because I picture it, I can, it's in my mind, I can kind of picture what happened and it may not be exactly what it is, but every, you know, every time you, I, there's something on TV where, you know, it's a Western and someone's about to be hung. My husband tells me to turn away. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. What about, you said some of your other siblings may not have done the, the work the same way and, and they're, and you've, and you notice a difference in the way that they've moved on with their lives. How so? Yeah, I mean, I think that for some, so some of my siblings were related to Kevin and my mom, and then some of them were only related to Kevin. I think that they didn't, I believe in therapy, be in therapy, see a therapist. I see one all the time. I'm super open about it. Um, but I think it's really more of a thing that nobody wants to talk about on my dad's side of the family a lot. And um, there even was, you know, what would have been Kevin's 40th birthday a couple of years ago where they all got together and had a, a dinner and I wasn't invited because I'm, I'm constantly talking about it. Um, so my sister-in-law um, FaceTimed me in and was like, just thought you should be here um, because they were just getting together celebrate his birthday, but not talk about the loss of him at all. And I think that that really does a disservice to him and to, to how his story can help other people. And it's not going to quiet me. I'm just going to keep talking. <laughs> so back to that time period, where were you at in your life, Allison, uh, that prior to the suicide of your brother, what was going on in your life? Generally speaking, were you in a good place mentally, emotionally, et cetera? I, I mean, I was 20, almost 25. So I was 24. I was about two years un younger than him. And I had two very small children. I was married. I've been married since I was 18. So I've been married more than half of my life. And, you know, my marriage had just come out of a really rough spot. And we kind of took like a month break from each other and had gotten back together right before this happened. And that is when Kevin started asking if he could come stay with us. So our relationship was kind of fragile and my children were little and on the drive from Georgia to Alabama, when we yanked the kids out of the bed, my older son was able to fall asleep in his car seat. My younger son, who's a very empathetic person, he's 19 now. Um, and he was, just a couple, like three or four years old at the time, he sat there and watched me the whole car ride as I tried to quiet my crying. He knew something was wrong. Um, and he too is a mental health advocate now. So it's, he's definitely, um, I always say, cursed with the gift of empathy. How did that change you then? How did that change you, Allison, your, your mother, your, your siblings, anyone else in the family? You guys are going about your business and then this, horrible event happens 2007 what, what was the the weeks and months like after that 
it destroyed me. I completely broke. I did not even understand that there was grief that that was that deep. So I am really grateful that my husband and I had gotten back together because I was really not able to be the best mom or anything like that. I just wanted to be in bed all of the time. And then I started to educate myself about psychology. Um, and I kind of, I always use the example of like when a building is just demolished, you can't go in and just do some sheetrock work and fix it. I had to be built up from the ground up and I am a completely different person. The Allison that is today can barely remember what the Allison of 2007 was because I'm just a completely different person. Um, and then when my mom passed away, I didn't fall apart. I was able to sit and handle all of the details of organ donation and memorials and cremation and things like that so that my siblings didn't have to, because that is a, a key point. So when, after this happened with Kevin, as I got better, I was determined to take care of everyone. And I'd always been very much the, the one that took care of everyone before, but I took care of everybody. I would just, I would be a doormat if they asked me to do something. So I, um, it took me a while to kind of get out of that where it was my responsibility to take care of the whole family. Um, but sure. I did that. And it's just also kind of probably part of my nature because I'm super controlling. <laughs> so uh, I'm curious, it sounds as if the your brother's suicide was more devastating to you than your mother's. I could be misreading this. Absolutely. I think that it's a really important thing to um, to key in on. So sibling loss is very underestimated by people. There, there are books about it, but no one really understands how traumatic sibling loss is. So you have this person that you go through life with that's supposed to be next to you. They're the ones that are supposed to be there when your parents are gone. You have these shared life experiences. And when they're gone, you've lost like this whole future with them. Now, my mother had bipolar disorder. She was a pathological liar. And I did not understand those things when I was younger, but it did create a very toxic relationship between us where Kevin was kind of the one that would protect me mm. from those things. Thank so you. it's not that, and now that I'm further away from it, I look back and can see the the good times with my mom and I can understand where the mental illness played into it. But at the time, you know, she hurt me a lot because of her mental illness. What's your relationship like with God? With God. So I, I mean, I am a Christian. I, 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 I call myself a common sense Christian because I feel like if there was a book written 3000 years ago and the new Testament, so different from the old Testament that some of the rules have changed today. <laughs> um, but I, I just, I have a very, both of my degrees in psychology came from a, a Christian college um, where I, it was like double the work. You did all of the actual psychology work and then you had to base all of it on scripture. So I, I definitely am, I'm, I'm religious, but not in the sense that I participate in organized religion because I do not find, 
I haven't found a church yet that is actually warm and opening and friendly and doesn't just judge everyone. And I'm not trying to bash all churches. I'm just saying living in the deep South, I haven't found that yet. Uh, yeah. I'm just wondering too, because somebody that like you, who's had to endure two really gruesome losses of life uh, when, when, when a loved one takes their own life, that's got to be one of the more airy ways um, that a family member has to be left hanging to move and try to figure out how to move on with their life. I wonder, does that make you question God? Do you, were you, did it impact your relationship spiritually? Did it uh, move you away from God? Did it move you closer to God? I think part of it made me move closer to God. I did. I I've had discussions with one of my sisters that um, is now an atheist and she's the one that used to pray before dinner every day, even at restaurants. Um, and to me, it's comforting to believe that when my brother wrote, don't mourn my loss, I go to a better place, that he truly meant that. And he really did go to a better place. Not that I'm saying that that was the way to go about it. And I'm comforted to think of the fact that I will see them again one day. And if I'm wrong, then there's just nothing afterwards. But right now it brings me comfort. Interesting. Were you exposed to abuse growing up? I was. Um, I um, Part of my book that I'm writing, also called Allison in Wonderland, um, discusses some childhood abuse from my stepmother's dad when I was very young, starting at, you know, seven years old. But what's really interesting is that I still consider the loss of Kevin the worst thing that's ever happened to me not being raped as at seven years old you were you were actually sexually abused yes you remember those moments i remember some of them <laughs> i actually just finished writing the chapter of my book and it's called the lost chapter because you lost a piece of your childhood yeah and some of the memories are lost too i've got pieces of them and during that time, as you're seven years old, are you able to understand that what's going on is wrong or, or is it confusing? No, it's very confusing. I, I mean, I did. I just wrote this chapter today. I even, you know, I had gone to this person's house numerous times and there was always inappropriate touching. And then there was this week where we went to Tennessee a week earlier than the rest of the family. And I even wrote in there, like, I don't understand why... I didn't think, hey, I don't want to go because, you know, this person does things that make me uncomfortable. I don't think at seven years old, I even really put two and two together. Um, so you look back on it and you're like, why was I so excited that I was one of the kids that was picked to go early? <laughs> mm. Do you think your mother knew that this was happening? She did not. Um, she found out when I was 16. When I moved out of her house into my dad's, I had a little diary that I had written in when I was little that had that talked about wishing that he would stop touching me. Um, and it wasn't a member of her family. It was a member of my stepmother's family. Um, she was enraged. And um, it's still a really big pain point for me because for me, if someone hurt my children, I would probably like 
criminal mind style creatively kill them. We'd, pro <laughs> we'd probably be doing this podcast from uh, live from prison. Right, exactly. It would definitely, I mean, like I would, it would, it would be slow and painful. Um, but my dad's approach was to sit and have a family conversation about it. And that was what they did because his father-in-law had had a few open heart surgeries. He actually passed away a year later. He was old and feeble. And the, the way to deal with it was let's sit down and have a talk. Not, do I sound a little bitter when I say that? Uh, listen, it's un understandably, <laughs> understandably so. So how did you, what are some of the things that you did to move past that trauma? Because it's a different level of trauma that that's different than what you're experienced than in your adult life with your brother and your mother taking their lives. How did you get through that trauma uh, into your teenage years, especially? Yeah, so I... Once I was old enough to not go to my dad's, my mom wanted me out of the house when it wasn't her weekends regardless. And so my friend Melissa, I would go with her to her dad's. So I stopped, I kind of distanced myself. You know, I was 12. I was old enough to say, hey, I don't want to go for the weekend. Um, and I think that helped me a lot. And but growing up, honestly, I would be in relationships or, you know, dating a guy. And as soon as things got past kissing. I'd freak out. I'd shut down. I'd ghost them. I didn't understand why. And I just kind of assumed I was a lesbian. So I ended up dating girls in high school because it felt safe. Um, and I, I, I'm not saying that I don't find girls attractive, but I'm, it definitely was a safer way to feel connected to people in my adolescence. And I still struggle with intimacy issues. I see a sex therapist and things like that, because this was a subject that I refused to speak about up until about two years ago, because I was scared that I would fall apart if I started opening those things up and my kids were too young for me to fall apart again. Wow. That's very deep. So yeah, I'm, 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 shockingly honest about my <laughs> no it's beautiful it's beautiful to be able to be so open and honest with this type of stuff because it helps you in your day-to-day -day life but it sounds as if what you're saying is that because of this monster who was stealing your innocence at such a young age that really impacted the way that you looked men almost males men boys they probably repulsed you because you associated men and the male the male species essentially with uh nasty dark places yeah and, and i didn't your, your even safe, realize your it. safe space was the same sex yeah I, I didn't even realize that was the concern it's interesting you used the word monster because i did i just wrote that chapter this morning and i was like and the monster wasn't the one under the bed wow i am so sorry that you've had to endure I, that's what I mean. Like when you look at your life and you say, go back to your childhood and you grew up in a family with mental illness and you've been surrounded by it. And you, you know, all these other challenges. And then of course the, the brother takes his life. Then three years later, your mother takes her life. Do you kind of, when you look at everything now, are you, are you able to say like, do you say why me? Or do you say, do you have a different perspective? And if so, what is that perspective? I did not realize until I was in therapy that my life wasn't normal. Um, I've had two different therapists 
cry as I explained my story to them, realized, hey, maybe they're not the best therapists for me. Um, I did not think that anything about my childhood was unusual. It just seemed like this was this was life. This is how it was. You know, you come from a broken home. I lived in a neighborhood with nothing but kids from broken homes. The drug dealer was across the street. The Nazi skinhead was down the road in the cul-de-sac trying to get all the young boys to be. I mean, like it was really like. So you couldn't turn to anybody and go, oh, wait a second. Maybe I'm the weird one because everyone was going through the same crap. Similar. Yes, exactly. And I, I can actually say that of almost every family that I grew up in that neighborhood, one of the siblings of the sibling sets has either died as a result of suicide or um, drug overdose. Mm. So we really were all go through going through those things. Wow. And you grew up in Georgia? No, I grew up in Alabama. I grew oh, up man. in um, no- north of Birmingham in this neighborhood called Grayson Valley that used to be a part of Trustville, Alabama's school district. So I went to the super fancy school where the doctors and the lawyers kids went but lived in like the ghetto version of that area when trussell went private they made sure to knock that neighborhood out but what about those other kids were those kids the the more well-off kids were they coming from screwed up backgrounds as well or was it a little different from what i could tell they were not um but i did not hang out with them as much because i was in the neighborhood and we'd walk around the neighborhood and there were lots of houses with no parental supervision (laughs) Right. You walk around the neighborhood, you go, oh, my situation is not so bad. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly like everybody else's. <laughs> right, right. Uh, incredible. And now you live, If correct me if I'm wrong, you guys live out in rural Kentucky. You, you, you're you out in the middle of no, wherever the middle of nowhere is, add another hour to it. Isn't that what you say? That That's right. It looks like the Shire. So we decided we wanted to buy like 10 acres in Tennessee when our kids you know, graduated and we weren't tied to specific school districts and I couldn't find anything and kind of expanded my search and found this 170 acre farm in Kentucky. And I was like, I asked my husband, Hey, what do you think about Kentucky? And he's like, I've never once in my life thought about Kentucky. (laughs) And here we are now a year later. (laughs) God bless you. 170 acres. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's really beautiful. It's very peaceful. Um, I, how far I actually, is the nearest, how far is the nearest drugstore? So there is a Walgreens in the city. Um, they don't have a drive through and they don't, they're not open on Sundays. Um, the nearest Walmart is 30 miles away, but it's not a super Walmart. The, the nearest city that actually has restaurants and stores is about an hour and five to 10 minutes away. Wow. Incredible stuff. Uh, Allison Fry, Alice, Alice sin in wonderland is the podcast. We linked her website here in the show notes. Let's finish it off with your podcast. We, we kind of started with it, but why don't you just give us a little more detail on what you're looking to accomplish and the type of people that you're bringing on? Yeah, absolutely. So the podcast is real. It started as the companion piece to me writing my book. And my youngest was like, hey, why don't you just do a podcast? And so I started it. And then as I started to talk to other people about mental health, I realized I have this very tiny view of mental health issues. And so I want to talk about everything. We hear about anxiety and depression and, you know, 
the suicide of celebrities and things like that, but people don't talk about their sexual trauma. People don't talk about, you know, there's a lot of things people don't talk about and no one has a place to really have a voice for those things. And Allison in Wonderland is meant to be that place. We're going to go through the looking glass into mental health and it's really open to anyone because everyone has a mental health story. Oh, that's beautiful. Check it out, guys, in the show notes. Allison in Wonderland, new podcast just released here in 23. And I'm glad I'm one of the first people that could help you promote this uh, this new podcast, I would think. let My last question for you, because um, it was something I saw in the notes and I wanted to just, just highlight it. You mentioned that there was insomnia that came oh, yes. from your from your trauma. So for some people that are going through trauma, people that are dealing with some tough times, um, that they're listening to this, they probably are going through something similar. So talk a little bit about the insomnia and then maybe what you've done to kind of get back on track and mitigate some of that. Yeah. So insomnia is actually how I discovered that I had PTSD. I I have a partial dream that I'll have and I wake up when the door shuts behind the monster in the cabin in the woods in Tennessee. And um, it's the one thing that I really struggle with. And so I do take medicine to sleep and I still only get about three or four hours of sleep. It's away the nightmares, but I will be screaming and not realize it until my husband wakes up wakes me up. I'm screaming and fighting in my sleep and I don't know. But that's one of the reasons that when my children got older and I started to prepare for this empty nest part of my life, I finally told my therapist because I was honest that these things happened, but I was not going to talk about them. I finally told her it's time to deal with the trauma. And so we're in that process now. And the book is actually part of that process. And your podcast will undoubtedly I could promise you after doing this for five plus years now, <laughs> your podcast will undoubtedly give you a tremendous amount of comfort and therapy and recovery, et cetera, et cetera. Cause you're building a community and you're talking with people that have dealt with similar situations and there's no better way to, to cure something than to, than community. It's, it's clearly number one. Absolutely. I've met so many people in just the short time that I've been doing this, that even if no one ever listens to the podcast, I've taken away so many great things from the people I've met with. That's beautiful. Hey, wishing you all the best, Allison. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, you too. Thanks for having me.